Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. We're going back to our files to the year 2016. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast on December 19th of that year. And we hope you enjoy. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Is it cold where you are? Because it sure the heck is cold here in St. Louis. In fact, I think the high today was something like 11 or 12 degrees, and the wind chill all day long has been right down around zero. And when I get up to go to work in the morning, it's going to be five degrees with a wind chill of about 15 below. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the old time radio show where we play shows that we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. But you're all welcome to come along for the ride. Now some of these shows, I have to admit, we may not remember listening to on radio. Some of them we might remember from their later television incarnations, but nonetheless we remember them. And many of them we perhaps do remember hearing them on the radio. This is Bob Bro. Hi, and I'm glad to have you along for the ride this time. You're all looking very chipper. You can hang your coats right over there and pull up. We have some hot cider over there, and you can make yourselves comfortable because we're in for quite a show. We have an episode tonight of Dragnet that is pretty good. You're going to meet a very lovable woman who you're just going to fall in love with. We're also going to have an episode of uh, Gunsmoke that is one of the iconic episodes. It's a wonderful character study about a, a, a poor soul that's wandering around the, the West with his burrow or his donkey and his guitar. And then we're going to have an episode of the Lux Radio Theater from 1949, The Bishop's Wife, which is uh, just a fantasy and a feel-good, feel-good program. So. That's the lineup for this week. It's a good one, and we're going to get started in just a moment.
This week I would like to introduce you to Ellen Adlaide Prater, one of the really nice people that you you meet on old-time radio shows from time to time. She shows up in an episode of Dragnet that originally was broadcast on the 28th of August back in 1952. The name of the episode is The Big Ray. Actually, this should be The Little Ray, or just Little Ray, but I guess that's neither here nor there. It's a pretty good episode. I think you're going to enjoy it. You're really going to enjoy this character uh, that I just talked about, Ellen Adlaide Prater. Here it comes from 1952, Dragnet and the Big Ray. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. You get a call that a man has had a heart attack, fallen and fractured his skull. It looks like an accidental death. Your job? Investigate. documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, September 4th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. It was 10.46 p.m. when we got to 2102 West Francis Avenue. The front door. Yes? Miss Prater? Yes, that's right. Police officers, ma'am. Oh, yes, of course. Come in. Thank you. Well, I'm Sergeant Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. How do you do? How do you do, ma'am? How do you do, Mr. Smith? Won't you sit down? Yes, thank you very much. Doctor said you'd be here. Guess he told you about the accident. Yes, ma'am. Well, if there's something you want to know, I guess I can tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Your husband's full name was Alfred Kenneth Prater, is that right? Yes, Alfred Kenneth. I wonder if we could go in, Miss Prater. Yes, he's in the dining room. Yes, ma'am. We just finished dinner, and Alfred got up from the table, said he wanted to see the ball game on television. Excused himself and got up, and all of a sudden he put his hand on his chest and started to stagger. Said something about his heart, asked me to help. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Well, I jumped up to go to him, he just crumpled and fell. Keep his head on the table, lay there, didn't move. The doctor said his skull might be fractured, that's what it might have killed him. Did you call the doctor right away? No, I stayed with Alfred. My mother called Dr. Adams. He's her own doctor. When we got here, poor Alfred was gone. I'll try to take it easy. Uh, Dr. Adams, he's the one that called us. <laughs> yes, he said he would. Something about a death certificate, I didn't understand it. <laughs> well, Miss Prater, maybe you'd like to go into the living room. Yes, please. Uh, can we get you anything? Glass of water, anything? No, no I'll be all right. It'll just take a minute. Uh. <sighs> I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am, just a few more questions. Did your husband have a history of a bad heart? Any trouble like this before? Not that I know of. He never said anything about it. He used to work awfully hard, long hours. 
Well, has your husband been under the care of a physician? No, never was sick. Had a doctor where we used to live. Since we've been here, we haven't had any need for one. Your husband never gave you any indication there was something wrong with his heart. No, if there was something wrong, Alfred would have said something about it. We had no secrets, told each other everything. Married 14 years and never had a single fight that amounted to anything. Wonderful husband. Woman couldn't ask for anything more. Good provider. Well, who was here when your husband had the accident, ma'am? My mother. She lives with us. Is she here now? Yes, she's in the next room lying down. It's been a trying time, officer. Yes, ma'am. All those years, Alfred and me. When Ray was born, he's nine now. Happy family. All the neighbors used to tell me how lucky I was, but I knew it. I knew it. Now it's all gone. I wonder if we could speak to your mother, Miss Prater. Yes, of course. I'll get her. Sergeant? Yes, ma'am? She's 55. Hasn't been too well lately. And this whole thing's been quite a shock for her. I'd appreciate it if you'd be as brief as possible. Yes, ma'am. We understand. Mother? Mother, are you awake? Yes, dear. What is it? Well, there are two officers out in the living room. They'd like to talk to you. What about? It's about Alfred. Alfred, what about him? I just wanted to ask you some questions. Nothing wrong. I'll tell him I'll be right there. All right, dear. She'll be right out, officers. All right, thank you, Miss Prater. Can I get you something? A cup of coffee or something? No, not a thing. Thank no. you. No, ma'am. Thank you very much. If you don't mind, I'd like to make a pot of tea for Mother and myself. Yes, go right ahead. Do you want to come out in the kitchen? We can talk while I put the water on. All right, ma'am. Did you call the coroner, Frank? Yeah, Joe, before we left the office. Should be here any minute now. Have to get a sketch of the room before he removes the body. Yeah. Ray's the one who's going to suffer for it. How's that, ma'am? Poor little kid. He and his father were great friends. I don't know what he's going to do when he really knows what's happened. Well, doesn't the boy know about it yet? Yes, he was here when it happened, but I don't think he realizes yet what it means. How old did you say he was, ma'am? Nine. He was nine last month. Where is he now, Miss Prater? He's in his room asleep. Here's Mother now, officers. Mother? Yes, dear. Mother, this is Mr. Friday and Mr. Smith. They're from the police. My mother, Mrs. Atkins. Hello. How are you doing, Ellen says there's something about Alfred. Yes, ma'am, that's right. I don't see any need to call the police. Accident, that's what the doctor said. Well, there's no death certificate, ma'am. We have to look into it. It's just routine. Mrs. Prater told us pretty much what we want to know. We'd just like to get your side of it. Sure, I was there, you know. I saw it all. He got up from the table, said he had a heart attack. Well, he wasn't fooling me. I beg your pardon? He wasn't fooling me. I knew heart attack. Fooey. I don't understand. He was drunk. Mother. Well, I still think he was, and you ain't going to change my mind. Had Mr. Prater been drinking? No. Well, he maybe had a drink on the way home from work, you know, to relax him a little. Mm-hmm. Relax him. There was no trouble relaxing him. Big thing was to get him off the dime. Laziest man I ever knew. I told her not to marry him. I was against it all the time. I knew his type. <clears throat> out carousing around. Hanging around in bars. And then he'd come home and take it out on poor Ellen and little Ray. Mother, please. Alfred was my husband. He's Ray's father. He's dead. Find a little forgiveness in your heart. That's all I'll find. A little. Officer, I'm not afraid to say what I think. I didn't like him. I never did. As far as I'm concerned, he was no good. Drunken bum, that's all he was. He hated me. Never did like me. Regretted every mouthful of food I ate. Never was too quiet about it either. Mother, that's not true. Alfred never regretted having you here with us. Well, that's what you say, and I know different. He might have died from a heart attack, all right. But if he did, that was that cheap liquor brought it on. Got up from the table, staggered around, and fell. Well, you say it was his heart, and I say he was drunk. Just plain drunk. Well, how about it, Miss Prater? Had Mr. Prater been drinking enough to make him fall, do you think? Certainly not, officer. You'll have to excuse Mother. She doesn't mean what she's saying. I do, too. 
And if you're going to call me a liar, I'm going to my room. When you're sorry about what you said, you can call me. You'll have to forgive her. She doesn't know what she's saying. Yes, ma'am. My father died when I was very young, Sergeant. I was all mother had. Guess she never did think any man was good enough for me. I hate to do this, Mrs. Prater, but there are some questions we have to ask for our report, if you'll bear with us. Of course, I understand. Now, you said his full name was Alfred Kenneth Prater, is that right? Yes. What was his age? 36. Birthday's November 22nd. How about his physical description? 5 foot 11, 167 pounds. Front door. You mind answering it? Not at all, ma'am. I imagine it's for us anyway. I'll get it, Joe. All right. Ms. Prater, we'd like to get this straight. Uh, just your mother, your son, and yourself were present when this accident occurred, is that right? Yes, just the three of us. The water's ready. You sure you don't want a cup of tea? No, ma'am. Thanks just the same. How about the other officer? No, I don't think you'll want any either. About your boy, Ray, Miss Prater. What about him? You said he was asleep? That's right. We put him to bed right after the accident. He was so close to Alfred that we were great friends. Thought it might be best if he went right to sleep. You want to see him? Well, probably better if he sleeps right now. We can talk to him in the morning if we have to. I'd appreciate it if you could, Mr. Friday. He's just a boy and all of this. You know. Shirley, ma'am, we understand. Deputy Coroner Joey's taking care of the body. Well, that about does it. You're going to take Alfred now? Yes, ma'am. Will he be? Can I go along? Oh, poor Alfred. There's no need for it, ma'am. There'll be an inquest after the autopsy. We'll give you a call about that. We know how you feel, ma'am. We don't like to intrude at a time like this, but it's one of our duties there being no doctor in attendance at the time of death. Meantime, if there's anything we can do for you, here's our card, and you let us know anything at all. Thank you very much. Michigan 5211. That's right, that's right. Station 2521. All right, Mr. Friday. Terrible thing. I can't hardly believe it. Alfred dead. It's terrible. Officers? Yes, ma'am? I hope you didn't take Mother seriously about Alfred drinking. I know she didn't really mean it. Well, don't worry about it, Miss Prater. We understand. Don't forget to call us if there's anything you need. I won't. Good night, Mr. Friday, Mr. Smith. Good night, ma'am. That's one for you, huh, Joe? Yeah. Even when he's dead, his mother-in-law won't leave him alone. Must have been a real pleasant life. Must have been rough on his wife, too. Huh? Hey, you! Joe, you hear that? I think I did over there by the window, didn't it? Yeah, there's somebody there. Did you call us, son? Yeah. You the cops? Yeah, that's right. Is there something you wanted? Yeah, I'm Ray Prater. Something I wanted to tell you. All right. What is it, son? About my father. I don't want Mom to hear me. She'd be sore if she knew I told you. I'm supposed to be asleep. What's that, Ray? I've been sitting here listening to you talk to Mom. She told me she'd tell you, and she didn't. Tell us what, Ray? Maybe I shouldn't tell you. Mom said she'd take care of it. I just don't know what to do. I tried to think of what Dad'd do. He always said if there was something wrong, to find a policeman and tell him. All right, son. What is it you want to tell us? About Dad. Just before he fell and hit his head, he was finishing dinner. He drank a glass of milk and he put the glass down the table and he said to Mom, this milk tastes bitter. Just like that, this milk tastes bitter. I tried mine, but it tastes all right. Yeah, go ahead. Well, a little bit after, he got up from the table and he fell and hit his head. Did your mother hear him say that about the milk? Yes, sir. She was right there. Well, why'd you say that you didn't want your mother to know that you talked to us, Ray? Because when I asked her about it, she said for me not to tell anybody. Mom said that if I told anybody, they wouldn't believe me. They'd be mad at me. But I sat here and thought about it, and if she didn't tell you, I thought maybe I should. Is that wrong, mister? No, son, that's not wrong. Hope it's all right. Is it, mister? What's that, son? 
Are you mad at me? Before we left the house, the incident looked just like another natural or accidental death. However, with the boy's story, it seemed possible that it might be something more. 11.56 p.m. Under the pretext of getting additional information for our report, Frank and I went back into the house. We talked to Mrs. Prater for another hour. It was possible that the boy's story about the glass of milk was his imagination, but it had to be checked out. While we talked to her, we had to be careful not to let her know that we'd seen or talked to little Ray. We noticed that the dishes from the evening meal had been washed and put away. We commented about this, and Mrs. Prater said that she'd done the dishes to keep her mind occupied while she waited for us. Frank and I asked her about her husband's insurance policies, and she gave us the name of the company that had written them. We asked if she and her husband had quarreled much, and she told us that in 14 years of marriage, they hadn't had one serious argument. During the conversation, we gave her every opportunity to tell us about Mr. Prater's remark concerning the glass of milk. She didn't mention it. Until we received the results of the autopsy, Frank and I figured we'd better wait before questioning her further. 12.34 a.m., we got back to the office and signed out. The next morning, we put in a call to the insurance company to check on the husband's policies. The deputy coroner said we'd have the results of the autopsy by noon. Thursday, 11.20 a.m. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. All right, sir, thank you. Yeah, that's right, Smith, 2521. Thanks again, bye. Anything? Insurance company says when they wrote the policy on Prater, there was nothing wrong with his heart. Yeah. Good-sized policy, Joe. Yeah. 25000 double indemnity in case of accidental death. Who's the beneficiary? His wife. Guy at the company told me that Mrs. Prater called last week wanted to know the premium on a larger amount. Mm-hmm. He gave it to her and said they'd like to send a salesman over to the house to talk to her and her husband. She said it wouldn't be necessary. She'd bring him down to the office. They haven't heard from her since. $50,000. Sure good enough motive, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny about the kid, isn't it? What do you mean? I'm figuring what his father said about the milk might have meant something. Must have been a tough decision for the little guy to make, whether to tell us or keep quiet. Mm-hmm. I'll get it. On side, Friday. Yeah, just a second. All right, go ahead. Well. Okay, thank you. Abernathy at the coroner's office just finished the autopsy. Anything? Yeah. Considerable amount of poison in the victim's stomach. Finding of the poison in the stomach of Alfred Prater had definitely ruled out natural or accidental death. There was still the possibility, however, that he'd taken his own life. The story given us by the son made this unlikely, but still within the realm of possibility. 1.15 p.m., Frank and I arrived at the Prater residence. Yes? Oh, you're the officers who were here last night. Won't you come in? Thank you, ma'am. Something more that you wanted to know? I think I told you everything last night. Well, something's come up, ma'am, kind of changes things a little. What's that? Well, originally, ma'am, we thought your husband's death was natural or accidental. You mean now you don't think so? No, ma'am, he died of poison. No, it can't be. There's a mistake someplace. No, I'm afraid not, ma'am. wonder if we could sit down and a few questions we're going to have to ask you. Yes, of course. This is quite a shock, officers. I don't know what to think. Yes, ma'am. Did you tell us what you had for dinner last night, what your husband ate? He ate the same things all of us did, nothing different. What was that, ma'am? Green salad, macaroni and cheese, bread and butter, and a pudding for dessert. And you all ate the same food, is that right? Yes, what are you trying to say? Do you think that I poisoned Alfred? We're not trying to say anything, Mrs. Prater. Your husband died of poison. We're trying to find out why. Just a minute. Mother? Mother, can you come out here a minute? It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Your husband have anything to drink with his dinner, ma'am? 
Of course, water, then coffee after dinner. He always has a couple of cups of coffee after dinner. Now, all he had with his dinner was water, is that right? Yes, just water. You ever drink anything else with his dinner? Milk, tea, maybe a glass of beer? Oh, milk once in a while. Last night we only had enough for Ray, though, just one glass. That's for beer. Mother would raise such a fuss, I don't think Alfred would want to go through it. No, if he wanted beer, he drank it at the bar down the street. Now, you're sure, though, that last night your husband only drank water with his meal, is that right? Yes, I told you, just water. Why all this harping on milk? What are you trying to say? What are you getting at? Mother, are you coming out? It's all the ruckus about. Can I even take a nap in peace? These officers just told me that Alfred's death wasn't accidental, Mother. Not accidental? Nonsense. The doctor said it was an accident. What more do you need? Got drunk and fell down, broke his head. Of course it was an accident. I'm afraid not, Miss Atkins. Your son-in-law was poisoned. Poisoned? How? That's what we're trying to find out. They seem to think that maybe I did it, Mother. You? Why, that's ridiculous. Why would she do it? Well, there was quite a bit of insurance, for one thing. You've been nosing around, haven't you? So there was a little insurance. What does that prove? There was more than a little, ma'am. $25,000 worth. Double indemnity clause makes it $50,000. And that brings up another thing, Miss Prater. Yes? The insurance company says that you called them and wanted to raise the amount of the policy. Is that right? Well, yes, I did call them, but Alfred told me to. Said he wanted to provide more for me and Ray. Anyone hear your husband say that he wanted more insurance? No, we're not in the habit of discussing our private business around other people. Other people learn to keep their noses where they belong. The world would be a better place. Ms. Atkins, I wonder if you could tell us what you had for dinner last night. But that is the limit. I just told you what we had. Isn't that enough? Come in here and you ask a lot of questions. Poor Alfred's not even buried and you come in here and upset things. Well, we're awfully sorry, Mrs. Prater, but we have to find out. That's what we're paid for. It's all right, Ellen. We've got nothing to hide. Answer their questions and then maybe they'll leave us alone. But I told them that we don't know anything about it. I told them. All right, honey. Now calm down. Now, dinner last night. What you wanted to know about? Yes, ma'am. Just what you had to eat. Macaroni and cheese. Little salad and some pudding Ellen made. Nothing else? Bread and butter. How about something to drink? Water. Good, clean water. Ray drink water, too? No, he had milk. Mr. Prater drink milk? I told you. We'd like for your mother to tell us, too, ma'am, just to keep the record straight. I think he might have had some milk to drink. I don't remember. Special? No, he didn't, Mother. Remember when I poured the milk for Ray? I said there wasn't enough for anyone else. Just one glass for Ray. That's all there was. Don't you remember? Well, no, I don't. But if you say it was that way, then I guess it was. you got no reason to lie. Ever occur to you officers that maybe Alfred took the poison himself? Ever think of that? How's that, ma'am? Well, didn't you tell him, Ellen? About how he used to moan around the house saying he couldn't stand it anymore? What's this, ma'am? Your husband ever talk about taking his own life? Yes, I didn't want to bring it up, but now I suppose I'll have to. Yes. Alfred was pretty depressed. He felt that he wasn't getting any place in his job. He felt that at his age he should be farther along. Times he'd get real low, say he wasn't going any place. I did my best to make him feel better. Guess it didn't do any good. Well, did he ever say he was thinking of taking his own life? Yes, several times. I laughed him out of it, and things would go along quiet for a while, and then something had happened that would set him off again. Well, how is it that you didn't tell us about this before, ma'am? Well, I didn't think it would prove anything. No reason to drag skeletons out of the closet. You satisfied now? You happy? Now you know about Alfred, maybe you'll leave us alone. Is your son here, ma'am? Yes, he's out in the yard playing. I'll call him if you have to talk to him. I'd like to very much, ma'am. All right, I'll get him. Well, before you go, Miss Prater. Yes? Do you keep any poison around the house? Of course not. I'd be afraid that Ray might find it. Nothing at all? Nothing for rats, gophers, anything like that? No. Never been bothered with rats or mice. There aren't any gophers around. No, Sergeant. There's no poison in the house. Well, you wouldn't mind if we looked around, would you? Maybe your husband bought some and he didn't tell you about it. No, go ahead and look. I know you won't find anything. Alfred and I had talked about keeping anything around that Ray might get into. I don't recall ever having bought any poison, and I'm pretty sure Alfred didn't. Well, we'll take a look later, ma'am, if it's all right. Now, if we could just talk to your son. I'll get him. Ray? Ray, come in here. No, right now. 
He'll be right in, Mr. Friday. I hope you won't say anything to upset him. Yeah, Mom? What do you want? These men here would like to talk to you, son. They're policemen. Well, they want to talk to me about I haven't done anything. We know that, Ray. Just have a couple of questions for you. This is Mr. Friday and Mr. Smith, my son Ray. Hi. Pleased to meet you. You bet. Wonder if you could tell us what you had for dinner last night, Ray. Dinner? Yes, son. Well, Mom fixed macaroni and cheese. We had that. Mm-hmm. Anything else, son? A salad. I didn't like it. Then we had some pudding for dessert. What'd you have to drink, Ray? Milk. What'd your father have? Ray? I don't remember too well. You better ask Mom. She'll tell you. I told him, Mr. Friday. Only Ray had milk. His father drank water. Ray? That's right, Mr. Friday. Dad drank water. Nothing else. It was apparent that Mrs. Prater didn't know Ray had talked to us the night before, and we were reluctant to involve the boy any more than was necessary. We searched the house and the garage, but we found nothing that could have been used to poison the husband. We obtained samples of Ellen Prater's and Mrs. Atkins' handwriting. We canvassed the drugstores in the immediate area. None of the druggists we talked to could remember selling poison to a woman answering either description. We contacted the office, and Sergeants Gill and Sinus and Danny Galindo were dispatched to the neighborhood where the Praters had lived previously. They were to canvass the drugstores and at the same time talk to the neighbors. In talking to the people in the area around the house, we found that the Praters were the subject of constant gossip. We heard tales of violent arguments between the victim and his wife. Several of the quarrels had resulted in the neighbors calling the police to quiet them. Around the neighborhood, we found out that Mrs. Prater had a violent temper and had had several arguments with her husband in the corner bar. According to the bartender, she accused him of running around. He went on to tell us that as far as he knew, nothing was further from the truth, that Alfred Prater loved his home and his son, and that he took to drinking as an excuse to get away from his wife's nagging. 5.20 p.m., Frank and I checked into the office. Rough day. Yeah, a lot of legwork. Not that so much. Just hoping Sinus and Galindo did better than us. Well, we didn't do too bad. We pretty much proved that what you'd said about the happy home life wasn't true. I suppose. Without being able to show they were in possession of the poison, we aren't going to be able to prove much. I got it, Joe. Yeah. I'm beside Smith. Yeah, Gil. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah, ask him to, huh? Okay. Said what? Yeah, I got it. Right. See you then. And seen us? Yeah, they found the place she bought the poison. Druggist out there remembered her from the description, checked the book, used the name Eileen Peters. Funny thing, though. Yeah. When the druggist asked her the address, she gave him the real one. You know, the house they lived in previously? She said what she wanted the poison for? Yeah, Gil said the book read, To Destroy Pests. On the way out to pick up Mrs. Prater, Frank and I outlined the plan for identification. In the event the druggist was unable to give a positive identification, we thought it better if the suspect didn't know she was being observed. This would forestall any embarrassment to the druggist. We arrived at the Prater home and took the suspect into custody. She said that she couldn't understand why we were arresting her, but that she'd be more than happy to go with us to get the thing straightened out. 6.40 p.m. Frank and I talked with Ms. Prater in the interrogation room. Alfred and I got along perfectly, never a misunderstanding. Well, your neighbors don't bear that out, Ms. Prater. What? They said that you two used to fight all the time, had to call the police a couple of times. They're busybodies, Mr. Friday, busybodies. They were jealous because Alfred and I were so happy. Once in a while, we had a little fuss, but nothing worth mentioning. How about the police being called, ma'am? Well, they might have come by when we were playing the radio a little loud, having a party, something like that, but never an argument. And you said your husband didn't drink any milk the night he died, is that right? That's right, I did. Your boy Ray seems to disagree with that. He said that his father did drink some milk, commented on the fact that it tasted bitter. But the little sneak, he's lying, of course, you know that. 
Wait a minute, you talked to him. He said that his father drank water, like I said. What are you trying to do, cause trouble between me and my son? No, ma'am. I should hope not. Poor little kid, father dead, and you trying to say that I did it, that I killed Ray's father. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yes, ma'am. Frank. Yeah, Joe. It's a little warm in here. You want to open the door for a minute? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah, that's better. Not too cold on you, is it, Miss Prater? No. Miss Prater, did you ever buy any poison for any purpose? You asked me that before. I told you no then. The answer's the same now. You're sure that you never bought any poison of any type? Absolutely. Did you ever do any business with a Mr. McLean in your old neighborhood? McLean? Don't we call the name? He's a druggist. No. No, I always bought from Mr. Swenson, a little drugstore in the corner near the house. Excuse me, Matt, will you please? I want to check something down the hall. Yeah, all right, fine. Listen, maybe you haven't got anything else to do, but I have. So if you'll get this foolishness over with, I'd like to go home. Well, we're almost finished, Miss Prater. Just a couple more things. Well, get them over with. Same one, Joe. He's positive. Mm -hmm. Miss Prater? Yes? Maybe if we lay this thing out for you, it'd be a little better. Anything to get it over with. I want to go home. i got to get dinner for Ray and Mother. All right. In the first place, you told us that you and your husband were happy. And the neighbors tell us that you fought all the time. The bartender says that you used to come in there and raise the roof with your husband. That you claim he was going out with other women. So the part about you and your husband being happy is a lie, isn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you said your husband didn't drink any milk for dinner the night he died. Your son says he did. What's all this about milk, anyway? What's that got to do with it? Well, according to what your son said, it looks like that's what your husband got the poison in, doesn't it? Where would I get poison? I didn't buy any. I told you that. You searched the house in the garage, you didn't find any. We've got the man who sold it to you, Mrs. Prater. He just gave a positive identification. Don Meyer, our handwriting man, checked the samples of your handwriting with a signature in the druggist buy book. They're the same. He might have wanted to collect on that insurance policy. Any way you look at it, Miss Prater, the facts point out that you killed your husband. Now, why not admit it? I didn't want to kill him. I only wanted to make him sick. Just sick, that's all. So he'd stop drinking, stay home a little bit. I didn't want to kill him. I didn't mean it. I didn't want the money. I just wanted him home with me. Yes, ma'am. Frank, you want to call the stenographer? Yeah, Joe. You can understand it, can't you, Mr. Friday? Ma'am? You can understand it. I thought he was running around. I wanted him home with me and Ray and Mother. A nice little home for Ray. That's all I wanted. Is that wrong? Something nice for Ray. Is that wrong? Well, I don't know. What? What's he got now? The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On January 13th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 87, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. Ellen Adelaide Prater was tried and found guilty of murder in the first degree. She was sentenced to life imprisonment and is now serving her term in the state penitentiary for women. Further investigation proved that the mother-in-law, Mrs. Ruth Atkins, was unaware of the intention of her daughter to kill her husband. She was not connected in any way with the death of Alfred Prater. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Herb Ellis, June Whitley, Sammy Ogg, Virginia Gregg. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. King Size Fatima has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
I knew you'd like Mrs. Prater. Chester says uh, she reminds him of his first wife. I didn't know you had a first wife, Chester. There we go. From 1952, August the 28th to be exact, that was Dragnet. And the name of that episode was The Big Ray. And I still think it should have been The Little Ray or just Little Ray. More Dragnet coming up in the weeks ahead. Well, this week, instead of the Comedy Corner, we have a fantasy. It was originally presented on the Lux Radio Theater on December the 19th, 1949. It's a radio adaptation of the 1947 film, The Bishop's Wife. That film starred Cary Grant, David Niven, and Loretta Young. In our radio adaptation, David Niven is back, and he's accompanied by Tyrone Power and Jane Greer. Like so many stories that become popular this time of year, this one involves an angel who is sent to help somebody, not to handle their problems, but to help them see that they have within themselves the strength to do that. Here it is from 1949, The Bishop's Wife, as heard on Lux Radio Theater. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes, bring you the Lux Radio Theater. 
Starring Tyrone Power, David Niven, and Jane Greer in The Bishop's Wife. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Home again after an absence of a year and a half is one of America's favorite stars. And he's here tonight to lend an extra thrill to our holiday season. I mean, of course, Tyrone Power, who joins David Niven and Jane Greer in our Christmas present to you, the delightful play, The Bishop's Wife. Samuel Goldwyn's fine and sensitive screen production won your hearts as well as your applause. And those who saw the picture will have a special welcome tonight for David Niven, who plays his original screen role as the bishop. Now the curtain for Act One of The Bishop's Wife, starring Tyrone Power as Dudley, David Niven as the bishop, and Jane Greer as Julia. It's a late afternoon in December. In a rather shabby section of a large city, two old friends have an unexpected meeting. Julia, what a wonderful surprise, my dear, beautiful Julia. Professor Wuthridge, but what are you doing here? I'm about to negotiate the purchase of a Christmas tree. I didn't know you celebrated Christmas. I thought you had no religion. No, I don't, but I like a Christmas tree. Reminds me of my childhood. Can you imagine me ever having met a child? Tell me, how's Henry? Oh, he's well, I suppose, but so tired and worried. You're raising money for the new cathedral, huh? Slow work, Professor. And you, how's your book coming? Oh, splendidly. Greatest history of Rome since Gibbons. Oh, I wish it weren't so late. The cathedral committee's meeting with Henry. I really should be there. Well, one of these days we'll have time for a nice talk again. Oh, here, here, for Henry's cathedral fund. This coin? It has very little value, I'm afraid. Just an old Roman coin. I picked it up years ago in Italy. Oh, it's a wonderful contribution. Nonsense. Might be called the widow's mite, only I'm not a widow. Julia, what's the matter? Nothing. I... Oh, if Henry and I could only spend Christmas back here, where we were so happy, with you, with all our old friends. No, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. It was really very childish of me. Goodbye, Professor. Goodbye, Julia. Why, Professor, how good to see you again. Hmm? Who are you? And how well you look after all these years. Well, don't you remember me? Well, let's see. It, uh, it wasn't Vienna, was it? Vienna. Beautiful old Vienna. When I was lecturing on Roman history... And what splendid lectures they were. And what a one you were with the ladies. Oh, fancy you remembering that. I, uh... I've been standing on the corner watching you, Professor. You and Julia. Oh, you know Julia? In a way, yes. Oh, poor girl. She's unhappy? Yes. When were you in Vienna? Oh, many times. I, uh... I'm interested in Julia, Professor. And Henry... What seems to be their trouble? Oh, no special trouble, I imagine. Henry's a bishop now, hmm? Oh, yes, that used to be his church over there. St. Timothy's. Perishing from neglect. It's such a nice little church. Well, delighted to have seen you again, Professor. Strange. Unless I've completely lost my memory, I've never seen that fellow before in my life. Julia? I'm terribly sorry I'm so late, Henry. Has everyone gone? Yes, dear, some time ago. Not another argument, Henry. Mrs. Hamilton... Mrs. Hamilton is a selfish, vain old... She made it very clear, Julia. Either we build the cathedral the way she wants it, or it won't be built at all. 
Oh, what a ghastly meeting. You didn't give in to her. Indeed not. I made it very clear I have no intention of being strangled by her purse strings. Oh, Henry, I'm proud of you. I had the most unchristian impulse to take those blueprints and give her a good whack over a mink coat. I beg your pardon, Bishop. Yes, Miss Cassaway? Mr. Trevor's on the phone. Tell him the bishop will call him back, please, after dinner. Yes, Mrs. Brome. Henry, what's happened to you? To us? To our marriage? That's a strange question to ask. No, we used to be so happy. We used to make other people happy. Henry, that was your gift. You're no financier and you're no promoter. Kowtowing to people, flattering them, begging them. It's got to be done, Julia. I want this cathedral to stand like a great beacon. I want his light to shine. I want... Yes, 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 Henry. Oh, here. Here's a contribution I collected. Oh, what is it? It's an old Roman coin from Professor Wutheridge. Oh, what does he think I can do with it? Well, it's a beginning. Now all you need is just another four million dollars. Julia, don't be flippant about this. Well, if dinner's ready, let's have it over with. I've got a lot of work to do tonight. The soup's very good, Matilda. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Brown. Oh, Julia, I'm... I'm sorry. I was so thoughtless just now. I was... I was just thinking, tomorrow, uh, perhaps we could spend the day together. Henry. Call on the professor, maybe. Have lunch at Michelle's. Michelle's. Oh, it's been years since we've been there. Uh, Please forgive me. Yes, Miss Cassaway? Well, I've been trying to explain to Mr. Trevor, but he simply insists upon talking to you. Oh, Julia. He's on the cathedral committee, isn't he? Well, go ahead, dear. You'd better talk to him. Yes, Mr. Trevor. Very well, Mr. Trevor. I'll be there. <laughs> 10.30 tomorrow morning. Good night. You may as well go home now, Miss Cassaway. Oh, but there's still a great deal of work to do, sir. You're a secretary, not a machine. Now run along. Well, thank you. Oh, and don't forget, you have a speech to make tomorrow at the Junior Assembly. Oh, no. What time? It's a luncheon meeting, one o'clock. Good night, Bishop. Good night, Miss Cassaway. Oh, God, what am I to do? Can't you help me? Can't you tell me? Oh, God, please, please help me. Yes? Good evening. Oh, what can I do for you? That isn't the question, Henry. Oh, well, what is it? What can I do for you? Look, I'm afraid uh, you, you must telephone for an appointment. I'm in the middle of dinner. I know, Henry. But you asked for help, you know. I asked... Who told you I asked for help? Well, you are known to be a good man and you were heard. I was instructed to come here in answer to your prayer. Who are you? I'm an angel. I beg your pardon? An angel. An angel. I knew it. I knew it. I've been working too hard. No, 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 no. Don't be alarmed. I, I know it's hard to believe even for you, but this is my district and I... Do you mind if I sit down? No, no, please. Do. And now let's see. You have some problems concerning the building of a new cathedral. Yes. Oh, here. Here's a picture of it. Beautiful. Magnificent. Well, Henry, do you believe I am what I say I am? Well, how can I? Nothing but your word for it. But you are a bishop. You, of all people, can trust the word of an angel. Well, what do you propose to do? Perform a miracle? If necessary. Oh, why don't you? Why don't you create a cathedral with a wave of your hand? Oh, no, no. You wouldn't want me to do that, would you? How would you explain it? Well, I... Uh, Henry, well... is anything wrong? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had a caller. Oh, how have you been, Julia? I'm Dudley. Henry is engaging me to help him with his work. You mean you're going to be his assistant? That's it, Exactly. I'm going to try to help Henry to get some relaxation. Oh, that's just what I've been praying for. Oh, you too. Henry, I'm so relieved, dear. Where do you come from, Dudley? 
Oh, all around. Julia, this man claims that he's an... I, uh, I've been doing social service work downtown. And Julia, if you don't mind, I must talk to this gentleman alone. We were just having dinner, Dudley. Won't you join us? Well, that's very kind of you, but I really must go. I'll see you both in the morning. In the morning? Oh, yes. Bright and early. I'll wait in the dining room, Henry. Good night. Oh, good night, Julia. Are you, uh... Are you sure you're an angel? <laughs> oh, I... I know it isn't easy, Henry, but you've just got to take me on faith. Yes, but for how long? How, how long will it take? Until you can utter another prayer and say that you have no further need of me. Then I'll be gone and forgotten. Julia's waiting, Henry. Yes, I know, but I still don't understand. Dudley! Dudley, where are you? Dudley! You look so pale. I, uh, do I? Sit down, dear. Henry, what's the rest of Dudley's name? I don't know. Why, Henry, you're trembling. I'm not surprised. A lesser man would, would quiver. Well, you'll feel better after you've eaten. Matilda's baked your favorite dessert, dear. Angel food cake. <laughs> Henry, Henry, what is it? Bishop, Bishop Brown. Oh, good morning, Miss Cassaway. Hi. I was just in your study, sir. There's a man in there. He says he's your new assistant. Oh, then he did come back. He says we're going to be working together. Yes, it doesn't seem much I can do about it. Well, well run along to the office, Miss Catsaway. I'll, I'll go in and see you. Yes, sir. Well, here I am, Henry. Completely at your service. Now, it may interest you to know I didn't sleep 20 minutes last night. I don't mind adding I'm, I'm in a highly nervous condition. Oh, well, then, the first thing we'll have to... Oh, good morning, Julia. Good morning, Dudley. It's a lovely day. Lovely. Henry and I are going out together. Oh, Julia, I'm terribly sorry, but we can't. I, I've got to see Mr. Trevor at 10.30, and, and after that there's the junior assembly. But you promised, Henry. Yes, I, I know I did. But, well, Dudley could represent you at those meetings, couldn't he? Uh, could I? Well, that, that's out of the question. They expect me. It would never do if I sent an, an, an assistant. Uh, excuse us, Dudley. I want to speak to my wife. Oh, of course. In the hall, dear. Julia, you see, the trouble is... Well... That man in there. Oh, I can't explain. You needn't try, Henry. Oh, but you mustn't think... This is the way it is. This is the way it always will be. Well, I'll tell Matilda she can have the day off for Christmas shopping. I'll take care of Debbie. I'll see you at dinner, Henry. What are you doing, Dudley? I'm just looking through your files, Henry. Well, I see that Mrs. Hamilton has pledged a million dollars to the cathedral fund. But she hasn't sent her check. Well, never mind that file. That's work for a bookkeeper, not an... A, a, work for a bookkeeper. Well, so you're beginning to believe in me. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you came from or who sent you. I only wish you'd make haste. Because the cathedral must be built? Well, obviously that's the most important thing. Or because Julia must be happy. It's, it's going to be difficult to help you, Henry, unless I'm sure of what it is that you really want. Yes, well, I, I'm afraid you'll have to excuse me. Mr. Trevor likes punctuality. Well, run along, Henry. This file's in an awful mess. I, I think I'll reorganize it. I still think you're wasting your time on unimportant details. Oh, nothing's unimportant, Henry. Remember, we're interested in even the lowliest sparrow. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. Dee, 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 dee. Oh, hello, Debbie. Well, come in, come in. How did you do that just now? All those cards in Daddy's file? You just waved your hand and they all jumped out of the box and jumped in again. Oh, that. Well, it's just my system of rearranging card files. Do it again. Some other time, hmm? You're Dudley, aren't you? Mommy told me. Mommy says you're very nice. Well, that's extremely kind of Mommy. She said that maybe with you here, 
Maybe we'll get to see Daddy once in a while. Yes, maybe we will. Debbie, that'll be enough out of you, dear. Come along. Yes, Mom. Well, so you're going out? To huh? the park. I'm going to play in the snow. Goodbye, Dudley. Goodbye, Debbie. Have a good time. Julia. Dudley, I didn't expect to see you here. Oh, I often walk in the park. Well, Debbie seems to be having a fine time. Regular snowbird. Aren't you supposed to be working? I always take a walk before lunch. Relaxing, you know. Oh, I wish you could convince Henry of that. Uh, speaking of lunch, Julia, I thought I'd go to Michelle's. Ever been there? Michelle's? Oh, yes. We used to go there often, years what? ago. How about going there today? You and I to Michelle's? Oh, no. No, I couldn't. Why not? Well... Oh, surely you don't think Henry would mind. Oh, no, no, it isn't that. It, well... You see, Matilda's off shopping, and I'll have to look after Debbie. Oh, yes. Yes, sir. But here's Matilda now. Hello, Mrs. Brome. Matilda. I just thought, Mrs. Brome, I just thought that if you wish, I'll take Debbie home. But, Matilda, you're shopping. Oh, I finished it. I finished it so quick. It was just like a miracle. Oh, you don't say. I thought Debbie might like to go home and make Christmas cookies. Oh, I'm sure she'd love to, but... Well, then, Mrs. Brome, I'll just go and get her. Well, Julia, Michelle's? I, I think that would be very nice. Good. Dudley. Yes? Just a minute ago, when you said you saw Matilda. Yes? Oh, it's nonsense. Uh, oh, what's nonsense? You were looking the other way when you said you saw her. Oh, I was? I mean... I mean, I thought you were. How silly of me. Wait here, Dudley. I'll say goodbye to Debbie. Julia. Julia, I'm home, Julia. Why, Bishop, I... I thought you were out for lunch. Well, I cancelled my appointment, Matilda. Are Mrs. Brom and Debbie here? Well, Debbie's upstairs, sir. But Mrs. went out to lunch with Mr. Dudley. Oh, well, she said... With Dudley? Oh, why, yes, sir. I, I thought you knew, sir. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, dear. I'm so glad you knew about Michelle's, Dudley. It's so nice to be back here again. Only... Only? Well, you seem to know so much. <laughs> Makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm sorry I ever learned anything. You have memories of this place, haven't you? Yes. As a matter of fact, it was in this restaurant that Henry asked me to marry him. Yes, I know. You know? I, I mean, I know how you must feel. <laughs> There's a fortune teller over there. You care to have your palm read? No, thank you. Would you? No, I know too much about myself as it is. And I, I know so little about myself. Oh, really? May, may I look at your hand? Can you tell fortunes, too? It's not too difficult. Well, what do you see? <laughs> I never noticed, Julia. Your eyes are green. I see a great deal of happiness. I see a woman who's adored. I see a rich, full life. Do you see Henry's new cathedral? Uh, no. No, I don't. And Debbie? Oh, no need to worry about her. She'll be like you, Julia. She'll have youth and beauty no matter how old she lives to be. I wish I could believe you. You may. <laughs> you haven't looked at my hand once. I simply don't know what to think of you, Dudley. Whether you're serious or... Oh, no. Well? That table over there. No, no, don't look. Three ladies, all on the cathedral committee. They're simply glaring at me. Well? They saw you holding my hand. My hand. Oh. 
Well, then, if you'll excuse me, I'd better do something about it, hadn't I? What did you do to them? Now they're smiling at me. Look, look, they're waving. Well, wave back, Julia. Oh, yes. I didn't do anything to them. Just introduced myself, chatted a moment. They're really very friendly, Julia. They promised to drop by our table a little later. Dudley, may I make an understatement? Oh, please do. You are a very unusual man. I'll let you in on something, Julia. You're quite right. Act two of The Bishop's Wife, starring Tyrone Power as Dudley, David Niven as The Bishop, and Jane Greer as Julia. authorities tell us that the Christmas season is the happiest time of the year. But it's anything but that for young Bishop Henry Brock. Determined to build a cathedral, he can't raise the money. And if that isn't trouble enough, he finds his prayers have been answered in the person of a young, handsome, and full-fledged angel named Dudley, who seems to find the bishop's wife uh, better company than the bishop. I enjoyed lunch very much, Dudley. Now, don't you think we'd better go home? But I thought you liked to walk. Oh, I do. But, oh, Dudley, wait. There's a friend of mine. Professor Wotheridge. Professor, wait. Julia, what wonderful luck meeting you again. This man, are you with him? Yes, of course. Dudley, this is Professor Wotheridge. Oh, the professor knows me well. The University of Vienna. Young man, I don't believe you've ever been near Vienna. Dudley is Henry's new assistant. You mean you really know this fellow? Of course I do. Well, in that case, how about dropping into my humble diggings for a bit of Yuletide cheer? Oh, I'd huh? love to, but only for a moment. Uh, come along, uh, Dudley. It's just around the corner. Well, Professor, when are you going to show us your book? My book? <laughs> Never. Please. Oh, you're writing a book? You didn't know? You didn't tell me. I described the book in detail in the course of those lectures I gave in Vienna. Julia, I'm now certain this fellow's an imposter. Oh, oh, that book. Oh, I thought you finished that one years ago. Oh. Oh, I see. No, no, for 20 years I've talked about that book, but in all that time I haven't written a word, not one word. But why not? Because I can't think of anything original to say. Just the same old monotonous history, dry as dust. I never could find the right words, either to tell to a pretty girl or to write a book. Even when you had this coin to inspire you? Well, that's the coin you gave to Henry, Professor. Yes, I borrowed it from Henry's desk. And you wasted your time. It's worthless. Oh, on the contrary. This coin is one of the rarest of all antiquities. Only 100 of these coins were minted by Julius Caesar 2,000 years ago. That was when Cleopatra visited Rome. Presumably, these coins were used to pay her hotel bill. Why, that's amazing. And nobody knew about it except Caesar's wife, and she had the coins destroyed. But this one she overlooked. It's an unwritten chapter in history, and you, Professor, will write it. Do you know any more stories like that? Oh, any number of them. Oh, you're a curious fellow, Dudley. Have you just begun to notice that? Where do you come from? Well, what if I told you that I come from another planet? Would you believe me? I don't know. I'd believe you, Dudley. And you'd be right, Julia, as always. We all come from our own little planets. That's why we're all different. That's what makes life interesting. Oh, it's getting late. I must be leaving, really. Oh, sorry, Professor. Uh, my wine bottle wasn't empty. We could say goodbye with another drink. Empty? Oh, yes, I had barely enough for... for the bottle. It's half full. 
Oh, save it for next time, Professor. Uh, I'm really getting old when I can't see what's inside a wine bottle. Uh, Dudley. Yes, my friend? There's one thing that troubles me greatly. Well? To write a history is a tremendous task. I wonder, will I have time to finish it? You'll finish it. You'll have time. I don't know why I'd ask you that question. How would you know? Yet somehow I believe you. You see, for quite a while now, every time I passed a cemetery, I felt as if I were apartment hunting. Goodbye, Professor. Come and see us, please. I will. I will. Goodbye, and God bless you both. I'll pass that recommendation along. Thank you, Professor. They're coming up the walk now, Bishop. Mrs. Brom and Mr. Dudley. Oh, they are. Well, I hope dinner isn't spoiled, Matilda. Oh, no, sir. I have sort of a feeling they might be late. Very considerate of you. Henry? Good evening, Julia. I'm sorry I'm so late, dear. Oh, hello, Henry. Good evening, Dudley. We had the most marvelous time. Oh, I wish you'd been with us. Yes, I wish I had. Is Debbie asleep yet? She's waiting to see you. Oh, good. I'll go right up. I trust you spent a profitable afternoon, Dudley? Oh, yes. Yes, did you have a profitable afternoon, Henry? Not very. Dudley, I'd like to see you for a moment. I mean, here, in my study. Certainly. Well, this won't take long, but I'd, I'd rather not be interrupted. You'll excuse me if I lock the door. Dudley, I simply cannot go on like this. Can you prove to me that you are an angel? Proof? You mean a, a document? Oh, surely you of all people should know that angels need no passports. I'd be a lot happier if I could see you perform a miracle. Well, what kind? Well, make this desk rise up and fly around the room. Oh, Henry, Henry, please, I... I didn't come here to do tricks. I'm surprised at you. I don't believe you are an angel at all. I think you're a demon right out Henry, of... Henry, no. No, don't say that word. Well, anyway, now you know how I feel. Yes. Now, wait a minute, Dudley. I'm not through yet. There's another matter. I... The door. I locked that door. He just opened it and walked out. Dudley! Wait a minute. Dudley! Now it's locked again. Oh. Dudley! <laughs> Yes, dear, to say goodnight to Debbie. Oh, oh. Anything wrong? Oh, no, 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 nothing. Oh, you, you look very well, Julia. You're very bright and gay. I feel gay, Henry. I think, I think you're an excellent wife, Julia. Why, why, thank you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the well-ordered life we lead, and I want you to know that I think the credit for that is due to you much more than to me. Thank you again, dear. Do you think I'm an excellent husband? Of course, dear. Henry, I hope you're going to take things easier now. I mean, with Dudley here. I think he's very able. You do? Yes. He knows so many things. What, for instance? Well, you should have seen him this afternoon. We met Professor Wetheridge. Why, Dudley knows more about history than he does. He should. He'd been at it longer. What? Oh, nothing. I'll go up and see Debbie now, dear. Don't you know any stories, Mr. Dudley? Oh, I know hundreds of stories, Debbie. I think it would be very nice of you to tell me one. Well... I know a story that happened many, many years ago about a boy who lived in a little town. What was his name? His name was David. He was a shepherd, and the town where he lived was called Bethlehem. Oh, I know Bethlehem. That's where the star was. That's right. Only David lived long before the star. Well, one night David was out in the hills tending his sheep. He was playing the harp and singing. And then all of a sudden, an angel came down and spoke to him. How did David know he was an angel? Oh, he didn't know. And that's the way it always is. Angels come down and put ideas into people's heads, and then people feel very proud of themselves because they think it was all their own idea. Well, anyway, this angel spoke to David. 
One of your lambs has strayed, he said. So David put aside his harp and went out into the darkness to find the lamb. Of course, the angel guided him. And when David found the lamb, he saw a great ferocious lion there. Oh, dear. So David said to the lion, you get away from that lamb. And the lion said, you get away from me or I'll eat you too. Did David run away? Oh, no. No, the angel put another idea into his head. And David took out his sling and hurled a stone right between the lion's eyes. Served him good and right. Yes, I think it did. And David picked up the lamb and carried it back to the fold. And then he felt so happy that he took his harp and he made up a new song. It started like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Oh, come in, Henry. I think you can tell the rest of this. Uh, Some other time. Well, good night, Daddy. Good night, darling. Now, if you're ready, Dudley, so is dinner. Thank you, Henry. Thank you. So right after dinner, Henry, we'll get a taxi and go down to St. Timothy's. St. Timothy's? Tonight? Of course, dear. The choir's rehearsing for the benefit they... Henry, we promised Mr. Miller we'd... Oh, Julia, I I telephoned Mrs. Hamilton this afternoon. Henry. I apologized to her for some of the things I'd said. I had to, and she said I might call on her tonight. But the rehearsal's just for you. A million dollars for Mrs. Hamilton, dear, is far more important. Besides, Mr. Miller will be delighted to see you. You're his bishop, Henry. And besides, I just don't like going alone. Oh, my, uh, my evening seems quite free, Henry. Oh, no, 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 definitely not. You, you've done enough already. Well, I was about to suggest that I see Mrs. Hamilton and you take Julia to St. Timothy's. You and Mrs. Hamilton? Oh, oh, oh no. Well, it's just a suggestion. Dudley, would you mind very much going with me? Julia! Yes, Henry? Well? I think that might be a very good solution. Thank you, Dudley. You're welcome, Henry. Oh, I'm delighted to see you. Hello, Mr. Miller. Oh, this is Mr. Dudley, the bishop's new assistant. Oh, Mr. Dudley, a pleasure. Thank you. The bishop will try to get here later, Mr. Miller. Something important came up. Of course, he's such a busy man. He didn't want to delay rehearsal. Uh, Mrs. Brougham, I'm terribly embarrassed. Uh, Look over there. Only two of the boys have come. Oh, it's just too difficult, I suppose, trying to compete with basketball and Christmas. I wouldn't worry, Mr. Miller. They'll all show up. Hiya, boys. Hi. What do you sing? Me? Oh, first soprano. Any good? I doubt it. Well, how about giving out? You, you mean alone? Well, you've got Rupert with you. Hiya, Rupert. Hi. Well, what do you say? It's okay by me. Fine. I'll start you off at the piano. <laughs> Come some of the other boys. Why, why, yes. Maybe basketball isn't so important after all. The stars in the sky looking down. You can be proud of them, Mr. Miller. They sing beautifully. They've never sung so well. Never. And look, they're all here now. I don't understand. Oh, if Henry could hear this. Like, like angels. Better, believe me. Baby 
I'm so relieved, Bishop Rome. You needn't make any further apologies. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Hamilton. And in view of your generosity, the George B. Hamilton Memorial Chapel shall be located wherever you specify in the new cathedral. Well, now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Oh, there's another matter. That window depicting St. George and the dragon. Yes. I should very much like the countenance of St. George to resemble my late husband. Oh. Uh, who do you see as the dragon? Oh. Oh, any dragon. Thank you. Well, now that we're in such complete accord, would you, would you mind very much if we postpone the details? Julia's waiting for me at St. Timothy's. Very well. We can go over the plans when I transfer the funds. Thank you so much. I, well, that's strange. Is anything the matter? Well, this chair, I can't get up. It's stuck to my... I mean, I'm stuck to it. Stuck to the chair? Yes, it doesn't seem quite right, does it? Stevens! Stevens, come here, please. Yes, madam? There is something wrong with the bishop's chair. Oh, madam... It must be the new varnish. The furniture people should have warned us. I do hope I'm not harming the chair. Oh, this is preposterous. Awkward situation, isn't it? Perhaps you'll give a little pull at the back, Stevens. Yes, sir. <coughs> Again, please. Oh, your trousers, sir. I'm afraid if we pull any more... Mrs. Hamilton, might I use the telephone? Yes, of course. It's right over there. Can you walk? After a fashion. <laughs> that chair, madam, it, it clings to him like a brother. Well, do something, Stevens. Call the shop. Get a plumber. Hello? Matilda, uh, this is Bishop Rome. I'm at Mrs. Hamilton's. I want you to come here at once with another pair of trousers. Hmm? Well, what difference does it make? Just bring me another pair of trousers. Thank you. Oh, I'm so sorry this has happened. Oh, if I could only get in touch with Julia or Dudley or... Dudley! This is all his doing. Dudley! No, 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 Bishop, don't be nervous. Uh, have a chair, Bishop. I have a chair. <laughs> I can't imagine what happened to Henry. He was so sure he'd meet us there. Well, I... Uh, well, I suppose he's detained at Mrs. Hamilton's. Oh, of course. You know, Dudley, it's a strange thing. You seem to be able to make me feel as if everything's going to be all right. Everything could be all right for everyone, Julia. If people would only learn to behave like human beings. It's a lovely night, isn't it? Oh, driver, could you take us through the park, please? But that's out of your way, lady. You getting bored with us, driver? Say, I'll drive it by way of Mexico City if you want me to. That's the trouble with this country. Too many people who don't know where they're going, they want to get there too fast. I'd call you two very unusual people. Oh, thank you. You're very perceptive. You know your destination, but you're in no hurry to get there. And you're not reluctant to invest an extra four bits for a detour with Mother Nature. Just where you're going. Oh. oh, that was really a close one. Holy smoke. Did you see the way I missed that truck? Like, like a miracle. Yes, I know, but uh, just don't overplay your hand. Hey, hey, look, they're ice skating over there. Oh, so they are. Julia, we're going ice skating. Oh, no, no, we mustn't. It's too late. We couldn't. Do you really think we could? You can stop here, driver. We're going ice skating. Oh, and you too. <laughs> Well, this is it, Sylvester. What do I owe you? Not a cent, my friend. Want to know why? Because you and the little lady here have restored my faith in human nature. Well, good night, Dudley. Good night, Julia. Good night, Sylvester. Sylvester is a noble soul. His children and his children's children will rise up and call him blessed. Oh, this has been the most wonderful evening I've had in years. It's the most wonderful evening I've had in centuries. You're a beautiful skater, Julia. 
In fact, you're beautiful. Well, well, you've come home. Oh, hello, Henry. Henry, what happened to you? I thought you were going to meet us at St. Timothy's. What happened to you? It's almost ten o'clock. You'll never guess, Henry. We've been ice skating. Ice skating? Yes. You should have seen Dudley. He's marvelous, Henry. Oh, and those boys at St. Timothy's. The way they sang. It was simply heavenly. I'm sure it was. Did you have a successful meeting with Mrs. Hamilton? Quite satisfactory, thank you. Good. I'll be right down, Henry. Dudley? Yes, Henry? Whatever went on these last few hours, there's one thing I'm sure of. Julia is absolutely blameless. Oh, of course she is. But you, you deliberately stopped me from joining you by the seat of my pants. Henry, if you had sent me to represent you with Mrs. Hamilton, I would have gone. But you didn't, so I represented you with your wife. Oh, is that part of the normal duties of, a, of an angel? Well, sometimes, Henry, angels must rush in where fools fear to tread. I haven't the faintest idea what that means, and I don't want it explained to me. In any event, you can go now, Dudley. I have solved my problem. Mrs. Hamilton is giving the money for the cathedral. But that was a foregone conclusion, providing you were willing to make a slight sacrifice of your principles. Now, don't you think it's worth it for this, this glorious edifice? I'm not so sure of its glory at a time like this. Oh, you're not? Now, these are rather lean years for the world, Henry. So many people need food, so, so many need shelter. That big roof could make so many little roofs. I'm dealing with a materialistic, selfish woman. She wouldn't listen to talk like that. Did you try? You came here so that I could have a cathedral. Well, I've got a cathedral. And I want you to get out of my house and out of my life and away from Julia. Suppose you pray for that, Henry. After all, it was prayer that brought me here. Very well. I'll pray. Uh, 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 Henry, I'm afraid that's no prayer. It was right from my heart. I want you to go. Julia doesn't. Julia, get out. Get out. Julia is about to come down those stairs. Don't let her see you like this, Henry. Try to calm yourself. Dudley? He's gone. Oh, Debbie's awake. She wants to say goodnight to him. I just told you Dudley is gone. But where? How should I know? But, but why did he leave so suddenly? Because I got rid of him. I told him to go away. I fired him. Why? Because he's incompetent. He's no good at his job, and I cannot stand the sight of him. Henry. Believe me, Juliet, I know what I am doing. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. The curtain rises on the third act of The Bishop's Wife. Starring Tyrone Power as Dudley, David Niven as the Bishop, and Jane Greer as Julia. Two days have passed since Dudley disappeared, much to the relief of Bishop Henry Brawl. And now it's early evening on Christmas Eve. Here's the list of your calls, Bishop, ending at Mrs. Hamilton. Oh, and there's a taxi waiting for you outside. Thank you, Miss Cassaway. If you're through typing my sermon before I'm back, just leave the copies on my desk. Yes, sir. I'm sorry to keep you so late on Christmas Eve. Oh, it's all right, sir. Bishop Brown? Yes? There's still no word from Mr. Dudley. Miss Cassaway, I discharged Mr. Dudley. There's no reason at all to hear from him. Yes, sir. Now, if you don't mind, please tell Mrs. Brown that the taxi is waiting. We can go to the Tropshires first, Henry, then the Vandals. Julia! Hiya, Julia! Sylvester, well, what are you doing here? Well, when the call came in for a cab, I sure hightailed it over here. I was hoping to be another skating party. Hey, where's Dudley? I don't know. Look, 
You got a preacher with you? Yes, uh, this is... Uh, don't, don't, don't tell me. A wedding. You and Dudley. Sylvester, this is my husband, Bishop Brom. How do you do? Oh. And now, if you don't mind, we'd uh, like to go to North Maple Street by taxicab, Sylvester, not ice skates. Good evening, Miss Cassaway. Uh, Mr. Dudley. Did I startle you? Oh, yes, I... I didn't hear you come in. But where have you been? Oh, here and there, Miss Cassaway. Why, we've been so worried about you. And poor Mrs. Brome, she's been popping in and out of here all day. Have I seen you? Have I heard from you? Oh, where is she? She and the bishop are making Christmas calls. Oh, they'll be home. Oh, yes, sir. After Mrs. Hamilton's. Then they go to St. Timothy's for the midnight service. You should be home, too, Miss Cassaway. I'll type that sermon for you. Oh, no, no. The bishop told it's me... It's that... Christmas Eve. You should be with your family. Well, if you really... Oh, thank you, Mr. Dudley. Merry Christmas, Mildred. Oh, Merry Christmas, Dudley. <laughs> Henry's Christmas sermon. A new cathedral. Mrs. Hamilton's magnificent gesture. Money. Pledges needed. <laughs> Sorry, Henry, but that's no sermon for Christmas. Suppose you tell them... Suppose you tell them the story of an empty stocking. Once upon a midnight clear, there was a child's cry. A blazing star hung over a stable, and wise men came with birthday gifts. We have forgotten many things during the centuries, but not that night. is calling, sir. Oh, I'm Dudley Stevens, Bishop Brom's new assistant. Would you mind telling Mrs. Hamilton I'm here? I don't believe she's expecting you, sir. Oh, I'm sure she isn't. Uh, yes, sir. I'll wait in the music room. The music room, sir? Yes, there's a harp in there. Uh, I wonder if she'd mind Oh, if... I'm afraid she would, sir. Oh. Well, in that event, you'd better hurry off and tell her. Uh, yes, sir, I shall. Good evening, Mrs. Hamilton. This is a beautiful harp you have. My butler said you told him you're Bishop Brome's assistant. Oh, yes, Mrs. Hamilton. The bishop will be along a little later. That music you're playing. I thought you'd recognize it. There's no one living who knows that composition, except me. What a shame that Alan Cartwright died, that only you and I would know his music. Alan Cartwright died nearly 40 years ago. You couldn't have known him. I'm much older than you think. Mrs. Hamilton, tell me about him. About Alan Cartwright. What is there to tell? He was the only man I ever loved. But I was afraid of poverty, so he went away and I never saw him again. Why am I telling you this? And so you married the rich George Hamilton. I made George happy, I think. And since he died, I've spent a fortune honoring his memory. In empty monuments. How did you know about Alan Cartwright? It doesn't matter. Oh, Mrs. Hamilton, they're at the front door now. Henry and Julia. I can't see them now. I can't. Yes, yes, you'll see them. You'll go to the hall and you'll greet them in your usual warm-hearted manner. You'll come with me and you'll stay, won't you, Dad? Uh, no, no, I'm afraid I can't. 
I have a great deal of work to do. Oh. Bishop and Mrs. Brom are here, madam. Now, don't keep them waiting. How do you do, Mrs. Hamilton? Uh, Julia, how nice of you to come and see me. And Henry, Merry Christmas. Uh, Henry, I said Merry Christmas. Oh, yes, Merry Christmas, Mrs. Hamilton. Oh, and no more of this Mrs. Hamilton business. My name is Agnes. And now we can all... Oh, he's gone. Oh, he's gone already. Gone? Who? Dudley. He was here. I might have known it. But where did he go? Oh, oh, that poor man. He said he had so much work to do. Really, Henry, you must make him take some rest. I've been trying to make him do just that. Oh. oh, I can't thank you enough for sending him to me. Meeting Dudley? Oh, I know it sounds ridiculous, but meeting him has been the greatest spiritual experience of my life. How did you ever find him, Henry? More or less of, a, of an accident, I suppose. Oh, more or less of a miracle. Oh, it was. It was. Talking with this wonderful, understanding man has... has... Henry, I've suddenly changed my mind about the cathedral. You have? Yes. I'm going to give my money to those who need it. To the poor, the homeless, the unappreciated. And I want you to direct the spending of it. Now you see what Dudley's done, Henry. Yes, I... I see. And you understand. Mrs. Hamilton, Julia... Forgive me, but I, I have to leave. There's someone I must see immediately. Henry. Henry, my dear fellow, sit down, sit down. Professor Wuthering, I, I just had to see you. I'm delighted. Here, here, Henry, here. A glass of sherry. No, no, thank you. Oh, but I insist. Henry, you see this bottle? Now, now watch. I filled two glasses. Behold, the bottle is still half full. And what's more, the sherry itself, it stimulates, it warms, it inspires. But no matter how much you drink, it never inebriates and the contents never diminish. Always half full. Dudley's been here? Yes. <laughs> and that bottle isn't all. He, he told me to look up some ancient text in the library, which no living scholar has ever been able to decipher. I read them as if they were English. Oh, let's face it, Henry. This Dudley fellow is not like the rest of us. He says he's an angel. An angel? That's funny. Nothing stopped me from saying it that time. Angel. He says he's an angel. From... from heaven? That I'm not so sure about. <laughs> an angel. It's too bad. He's such a nice fellow. Oh, he's brought nothing but disaster to me. Oh, that's absurd. He and Julia were here the other day. She seemed happier than she'd been in years. He's made her despise me. Are you sure? That's why I've come to see you. Do you think it's all my own fault, Professor? Oh, you don't have to answer. I asked for this in more ways than one. I suppose that Dudley came to me just to confirm that I had already lost Julia's love. Well, if there's anything I can do, Henry... No, there's I... nothing anyone can do. Yeah, but there must be. You and Julia love each other. You always have. It's only partly true. I love Julia. Well, then why don't you fight for her? Fight? How can I fight against... But you have a tremendous advantage over him. Advantage over an angel? Precisely. He is an angel. Julia's a creature of Earth. She's a woman, Henry, and you're a man. Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah, and... <laughs> if I were you, I'd get myself home. Home. That's where he'll be, waiting for Julia. Excuse me. Uh, 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 happy Christmas. <laughs> Henry, is that you, dear? Hello, Julia. Dudley. I came to say goodbye. I have to be moving along. Oh. Well, where will you be going? 
Wherever they send me. They? My superior officers. Will we ever see you again? Well, they seldom send us twice to the same place, Julia. We might form attachments. I don't know what you're talking about. No, of course not. Julia. Julia, I don't want to leave. Why? Well, there are a few people who know the secret of making heaven here on earth. And you are one of those rare people. You... You frighten me. Dudley, I think you ought to go. Julia, please, don't send me away. What are you saying? That I'm... I'm tired of being a wanderer. I'm tired of an existence which is neither hot nor cold, hungry nor full. No. No, you must go away. And never come back. Don't look at me like that. Dudley... All right, Julia. It's all right, my darling. Go upstairs, dear. I'll handle this alone. As for you, Dudley, I have never before had to fight an angel. But I suggest you take off your coat and put up your dukes. Now, why do you want to fight me, Henry? Because you're a thief trying to steal the love that belongs to me. Henry, do you realize that as an angel, I could quite possibly destroy you with a bolt of lightning? I don't care. Julia means more to me than my life. I'm not going to lose her. Ah. Ah. Then I have news for you. I'm going. I'll accept that as a fact when I see it happen. Oh, no, you won't. Because when I'm gone, you will never know that an angel visited this house. And Julia? What about her? There will be no memory with her either. Or with Debbie or the professor or anyone else. Oh, I don't trust you. You may, Henry. Because your prayer has been answered. That's not true. I prayed for a cathedral. No, no, Henry. You, you prayed for guidance. And that's been given to you. I'm being paged. Uh, just a minute, please. <laughs> Goodbye, Henry. If... If we should need you again, will you come back? No, not I. I'm requesting an assignment at the other end of the universe. Is that because I was so difficult? Oh, no. No, no. This difficulty was in me. When an immortal finds himself envying the mortal trusted to his care, it's a definite signal of danger. Yes, yes, I heard you the first time. <laughs> now, now go upstairs. Take her in your arms, Henry. And kiss her for me. You lucky Henry. Julia, Julia. Quiet, darling. You'll wake Debbie. Are you all right? Well, yes, of course I am. Henry, did you get that for Debbie? Get what for Debbie? That little angel there on a bed. Why, no. I can't imagine where it came from. Henry, Henry, what is it? I don't know. I, I have the most inexplicable feeling of happiness. Why, so do I. Oh, Julia, I love you, Julia. I love you, Henry. Listen, the bells from St. Timothy's. It's almost midnight. You'll have to hurry. Oh, my sermon. It was all about the cathedral. It will never do now. Don't worry, dear. You'll think of something. Something even better. Merry Christmas, Henry. Merry Christmas, darling. of an empty stocking. Once upon a midnight clear, there was a child's cry. A blazing star hung over a stable, and wise men came with birthday gifts. 
We have forgotten many things through the centuries, but not that night. We celebrated with stars on Christmas trees, with the sound of bells, and with gifts, but especially with gifts. You give me a book, I give you a tie. Aunt Martha has always wanted an orange squeezer, and Uncle Harry could do with a new pipe. Oh, we forget nobody, adult or child, all the stockings are filled. All that is except one. And we have even forgotten to hang it up. The stocking for the child born in a manger. It is his birthday we are celebrating. Don't let us ever forget that. Let us ask ourselves what he would wish for most. And then let each put in his share. Loving kindness, warm hearts, and a stretched out hand of tolerance. All the shining gifts to make a peace on earth. Now, here's Mr. Keeley with our stars. Our most sincere thanks are due our stars for the joy they brought to this audience tonight. And here they are, Tyrone Power, David Niven, and Jane Greer. Ty, it's good to have you back in Hollywood after all these months. Well, until you... Until you well, I'll try this again, once more. Until you've been away a year and a half, you never know how good home looks. You know, I was just figuring up the other day. In the last four years, I've only been here ten months. Well, I guess you're... guess you're ready to settle down. Well, for a, for a few days, David. And then Linda and I are going down to Mexico City to spend New Year's with her family. You travel as much in real life as in the Prince of Foxes. 20th century foxes, that is. So, <laughs> nice to know you haven't changed a bit, David. Well, Ty, you certainly had an exciting role in the picture. And your performance merits our congratulations. And this would be a good time to congratulate Jane on the recent arrival in her family. Two boys must be a household, Jane. Oh, two aren't nearly enough. But I will say the Lux Flakes consumption is running rather high. Well, we certainly can help you out there. There's some in the wings for all of you to take home. We appreciate it, Bill. Now, what about next week's play? It's a gay musical, David. <laughs> the Warner Brothers hit, My Dream is Yours. And the stars will be June Haver and Jack Carson. <laughs> My Dream is Yours is a delightful love story full of sparkling songs in just the right mood to top off the Christmas season. That's a wonderful holiday play. Well, good night. Good night. Good night. Traditionally, this is the time for an old American custom, going home for Christmas. It's a time of joyful reunion, a time to strengthen the ties that bind each family together. And in the family is our only hope for the future. For from deep in our hearts and our homes must come the fulfillment of the age-old promise of Christmas, the promise of peace on earth and goodwill among men, all men. On behalf of Lever Brothers Company and of us in the Lux Radio Theater, may I wish all of you the happiest of holidays.
invite you all to join us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Jack Carson and June Haver in My Dream is Yours. This is William Keeley saying good night to you and Merry Christmas. David Niven will soon be seen in the Alexander Corda production, The Elusive Pimpernel. Jane Greer appeared through the courtesy of RKO, producers of Holiday Affair, starring Robert Mitchum and Janet Leigh. Heard in tonight's cast were Willard Waterman as Professor, Eleanor Audley as Mrs. Hamilton, Francis Robinson as Miss Cassaway, and Bill Johnstone, Gilbert Barnett, Philip Teague, Noreen Gamill, Anne Whitfield, Howard McNear, Eddie Marr, and Alan Reed Jr. Our play was adapted by S.H. Barnett, and our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy. Be sure to listen next Monday night to the Lux Radio Theater presentation of My Dream is Yours, starring Jack Carson and June Haver. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma, which follows over these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. From December the 19th, 1949, that was Lux Radio Theater's adaptation of the film The Bishop's Wife, a 1947 film. This radio adaptation featured David Niven in his original role and also Tyrone Power and Phyllis Baxter. The Bishop's Wife originally was a novel that was released in 1928. When the film came out in 47, it did not get much audience. It got good reviews, but for some reason people were staying away. Well, a little investigation led them to believe that the reason people were staying away is they thought it was a religious film. So for that reason, in many markets, they changed the name of the film to Carrie and the Bishop's Wife. And even markets where they didn't do that, they did put a tagline at the bottom of the movie posters that said, have you heard about Carrie and the Bishop's Wife? The result? A 25% increase in box office. The Bishop's Wife was also done on Screen Guild Theater in a half an hour adaptation. Those were never as good. And it was done three times on Lux Radio Theater. We heard the first time tonight from 1949. And then they also had versions in 1953 and 1955. And both of those featured Cary Grant. Unfortunately, none of those uh, that I could find have nearly the sound quality that uh, this one that we played tonight had.
that sound. That's the sound of, oh, that's the sound that takes us back to the 1870s. That's the, that's the sound that, that takes us back to Dodge City, Kansas. We just imagine ourselves walking up dirty, dusty Front Street, or shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon. We are there to uphold the law, to keep the citizens safe in this Babylon of the West. Yes, along the way we're going to meet up with Doc and Chester and Kitty and the whole gang on yet another episode of Gunsmoke. And it's a good one tonight. This is one of the iconic episodes. It was redone a number of times, but we're listening to the very first time this, uh, this story was told on and that was on December the 26th, back in 1953. It's a really great character study, and it's one that's going to tug at your heartstrings, especially the final scene. This one features Vic Perrin as a man who plays the guitar. Here it comes. City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. And now, Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. Sure are slow with that beer, Doc. I'm ready for another. You had enough last night, Chester. 
Matt told me you were still asleep at nine o'clock this morning. Oh, I was. And it was mighty kind of him not to wake me up. Are you sure he said he'd be back this afternoon? That's what he told me. So I... Oh, oh, oh. oh. Now, what in the world is that fella? Who? He just came in the door there with, with Tyler and Short. Oh, him. That's Weed Pendle. He rode in on a mule a couple days ago. Uh, which has the bigger ears? Him or the mule? <laughs> oh, he is funny looking all right. And he acts peculiar, too. That's a mighty scrawny mule, Pendle. I seen you on him this morning. Pindle here is kind of scrawny yourself, Short. Maybe some beer would fatten him up a little. I'd like some beer, all right. But I got no money. Why'd you sell that guitar of yours? Sell my guitar? No, I'd never do that. You must have a nickel, at least. Last money I had got stole. Now, who dare steal money off a tiger like you, Pindle? I was asleep. I started to wake up, but they kicked me in the head. You call that a head? Looks to me more like your neck just growed out and haired over. <laughs> I ain't very handsome. You sure ain't. Hey, what'd your old lady think of you when she saw you, Pindle? I don't know. She died. Yeah, laughing, I'll bet. Oh, now, that's <laughs> enough, Tolly. That's too mean. Pindle's a harmless little fella. Ain't nobody talking to you, Chester. Well... Bartender, three beers. You buying, Tyler? I'm proud, too. Fine old soldier like Weed Pindle. How'd you know I was a soldier? I didn't. Where was you a soldier, Pindle? Third Illinois Cavalry. Illinois? You was with the Yankees. Well, I never done much. We had hard luck and never got to see no real Confederates at all. Just a bunch of ragged-tailed bushwhackers in South Missouri. They was led by old chicken thief named Klein. Yeah. So there was. Tell me something, Pindle. Did you ever kill any of uh, Klein's men? A few. Before I got shot myself. They caught some of them after and hung them. But I never did see a hanging. You never saw a hanging? Nowhere. I never did. That's so. Well, Pindle, you're in luck. Since we was kind of in the war together, so to speak, I'm going to show you a hanging... Uh, you're about ready, ain't you, Short? My rope's on my saddle. I'll get it and meet you out back. They gonna be a hanging? Real hanging? There sure is. You're lucky, Pendle. You run into us just in time. What are you talking about, Tyler? Who are you gonna hang? Hey, it's a kind of surprise, Chester. You can watch, too. Now, uh, here, you know it's against a law to hang people around here. I saw Marshal Dillon ride out town this morning. When he gets back, it'll be all over and don't you try to buck me in short, Chester. You'll die if you do. Come on, Pindle. You don't want to miss it. Sure. What do you suppose they're up to, Doc? And I don't know, Chester, but I'd like to find out. Yeah, I guess we'd better. I sure do yeah. wish Mr. Dillon was here. I never did think much of Tyler and Short. They play no good. I'm worried, Doc. There they are. Why, it's Pindle. They got a rope around his neck. Of course, you won't see all the hanging, Pindle, just the start of it. What are you hanging me for? I ain't done nothing. You was in the 3rd Illinois Cavalry. Well, sure. We was fighting under that old chicken thief, Klein, in South Missouri. It's a real pleasure to hang a Yankee like you. But I only done what they told me to. 
I didn't kill nobody on purpose. All right, now, wait a minute, you two. You've gone far enough. Shoot him, Tyler. You go shooting anybody, and you'll be the ones to end up on a rope. Doc ain't armed. He never is. Go on, Tyler. All right. You can try it. But you're sure gonna have to kill me before you hang anybody. I'll kill you. You'll have to kill me, too, Tyler. Mr. Dillon. Now, where'd he come from? Take your rope off that man's neck, short, and do it quick. Sure, Marshal. Sure. I told you you shouldn't hang me. Oh, we was just funning the marshal. We wasn't going to hang him. What's this all about, Short? Well, he's a Yankee, Marshal. Killed a lot of us in Missouri during the war. We was going to scare him and then run him off. Well, you forget about that. I forget about the war, too. It's over. The next time I catch you up to anything like this, you're going to go to jail. Go to jail? Over a dumb Yankee who don't own nothing but a skinny mule and a guitar? Get out of here, Short. And you, too, Tyler. Okay, Marshal. But this Yankee better get out of here, too. Out of Dodge. Shut up, Tyler. And get moving. Sure. See you later, Findle. Findle, Marshal Dillon's here. He wants to see you. I sure do thank you for letting me sleep in your jail last night, Marshal. Where you been sleeping before, Pendle? With my mule. I always do. Huh? I, uh, hear you broke. What do you do for a living? I never did nothing much, Marshal. Just ride around on my mule. Well, what about your guitar? Don't you ever play and take up a collection or something? Oh, no, Marshal. I wouldn't do that. Well, why not? Can't, can't you play well enough? I don't know, Marshal. I never played it for nobody to hear, except me. Ah. All right. Uh, Chester, take him over to the Texas Trail, huh? Maybe Sam can give him a job of some kind. Well, it wouldn't be steady, would it? <laughs> well, I don't know, but uh, why shouldn't it be? Because I'll be leaving in a day or two. Oh? Where are you headed? Nowhere. Nowhere? Just ride around on my mule. I always do. Pendle, where are you from, anyway? I was born San Benito. Oh, on the Rio Grande? Yes. I left soon after. Took my guitar with me, though. Never did go back. Well, if you're from Texas, how come you fought in the Union Army? I don't know. One army's just like another, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you're right at that. Uh, Chester, take him over to Sam's. Huh? All right, sir. I left my guitar back. I'll go get it. He sure is a peculiar little fellow, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, pretty helpless, too. You think Short and Tyler will bother him anymore? Well, knowing them, I believe they'd have hung him yesterday if they could have. Uh, you tell Sam to let me know if they even start talking to him again, huh? Yes, sir, I will. They're about the meanest pair of men I ever knew. Yeah, they are. And they'll think of something. Well, Pennell said he's leaving in a day or two. I hope that's soon enough, Chester. Sam gave Weed Pendle a job sweeping up the saloon and let him live in a tiny shack out back. He tried to get him to play his guitar, but Pendle wouldn't do it. And we all began to think that he probably didn't even know how. It's hard to believe that anyone as simple as he was could learn to do anything. I looked up Short and Tyler and warned them again to leave him alone. And they did. Until one morning a couple of days later... 
Chester and I had just come out of Delmonico's and we're walking up Front Street. Look at there, Mr. Dillon, across the plaza. Yeah, I saw them. Let's go over there, Chester. It's Pendle and his mule, all right. Yeah. And Tyler and Short, too. I told them to keep away from him. What are they laughing at? Now, they're laughing, but he isn't. What do you suppose they've done to him now? Look at his mule, Chester. What? That's what they've done. Oh, my goodness, Mr. Dillon. He's lost an ear. I thought Yankees liked their mule that way, Short. At least I always heard they did. I guess they're just no pleasing some men, Tyler. <laughs> you shouldn't have done that to my mule. Well, it's the marshal again. Did you men do this? Now, Marshal, we ain't done nothing to Pendle. Did they do it, Pendle? I tried to stop him, but Tyler held me. Then they gave me my mule's ear, Marshal. It's right here. See? Yeah. Turn around, both of you. Turn around, I said. Now take their guns, Chester. Yes, sir. Can't do nothing to us, Marshal. We didn't hurt Sandal. No. I don't like what you did to his mule. I got him, Mr. Dillon. Now, Rich, you can turn around again. I ought to cut an ear off of each of you. But I can't do that. So I'm going to do the next best thing. Now, look here, Marshal. You... Now, leave him there, Chester. Pendle, I'm sorry about your mule. He ain't much of a mule anymore. Well, you better go take care of him. And maybe these two will leave you alone now. Poor mule. Pendle told me yesterday, Matt. Well, it could have been almost anything, knowing him, Kitty. No, this kind of makes sense. I asked him if he was ever lonely, and he said, no, he never stayed anywhere long enough to get to know anybody that well. Uh, he's a little strange, all right. Now what are they up to? Who? Tyler and Short. They just came in with Pendle. Oh? Look, Matt, he's got his guitar with him. Yeah. Hey, listen, everybody. Hey. Listen, everybody. Little Yankee's gonna play his guitar for us. At least he's gonna try. Ain't you, Yankee? Don't shoot my mule. We ain't gonna shoot your mule. Not if you play good enough. Go on, get started. If you know how. They threatened to kill his mule, Matt. You gotta stop him. No, wait a minute, Kitty. Go on, Pendle. Go on, play. All right.
kind of surprised everybody, didn't he? <laughs> Tyler and Short don't look so happy about it. No. The crowd's with Pendle now. Good. They're leaving. Yeah, they'd better. They liked it. Well, me and Short been waiting to tell you how we liked it, too. Yeah. Let me see that guitar, Pendle. No. You hurt my mule. Give it to me. <coughs> I got a gun in your belly, Pendle. Don't move. I want my guitar. You can have it. I just want to sort of tune it for you first. Please, there. Please don't do that. Another thing that's wrong with this guitar, it's a little bit too big for a man like you. But I can make it smaller. There you are, Yankee soldier. Maybe this will learn them. Let's go short. Are they both dead, Doc? Oh, my, yes. Real dead. For several hours, at least. Right. They must have been asleep when it happened, Doc. It looks like Short there struggled a little. I guess Tyler got his first and woke Short up for a minute. He wasn't awake very long, man. Yeah, just long enough to see who was cutting his throat, probably. Hmm. Well, he can't talk now. No. I guess I'm all through here. What do you want to do with him? Oh, we'll let the hotel worry about him. I guess it's Weed Pendle I want now. My, and him such a mild little fellow. Uh, any man can take just so much, Chester. I sure hate to see poor Pendle hang for killing these two buzzards, man. Chester, wait for me at the jail, huh? I'll bring him over as soon as I can find him. <laughs> Sam? Yeah, what'll it be, Marshal? Where's Weed Pendle, Sam? Oh, I just sent him out back for a bucket of sawdust. What do you want him for? Short and Tyler got their throats cut early this morning. Good. I guess their smashing his guitar was too much for Pendle. That's so. Oh, there he is now. Pendle, come over here. Morning, Marshal. Good morning. Pendle. Where was you last night? I don't know. Here, I guess. You don't know. Now, wait a minute, Marshal. Pendle, where was you after they wrecked your guitar? Well, I sat in the alley a while, then I come back here. Yeah, that's right. And he was so broke up about his guitar, I didn't want to leave him alone, so I <laughs> took him up and let him sleep on the floor of my room. Isn't that right, Pendle? Well, go on, tell him now. Sure, Sam. That's right. Are you trying to alibi for him, Sam? 
I know Marshal Dillon. But I care about him. Some people care about me. Who, Pendle? He's just talking, Marshal. Who cares about you, Pendle? Tell me. Those men. What men? He means some of the boys that was here when he come back with his busted guitar, Marshal. He just told him how sorry he was, that's all. I see. They liked his music, didn't they? Yes, they did. They liked to hear me play. Who was in here then, Sam? Well, now, Marshal Dillon, you know how it is. I'm busy pouring drinks, and I don't pay no mind to who's here and who ain't. I, I couldn't rightly say it all. Okay, Sam, I guess I can't beat the truth out of you. Oh, now, Marshal Dillon, who cares about Tyler and Short? Dodgers is better off without There's him. There's a law against murder, Sam, and it's the same for everybody. And I'll be back later. What are you going to do now, Mr. Dillon? Well, I've done all I can, Chester. The whole town's just plain quit talking. Nobody knows anything. Well, I guess they're all trying to protect Pendle. Yeah, they are. But he didn't do it. Well, who did then? Well, if I could prove who did it, Chester, I'd have him in jail. Say, come over here. Well, I declare, Mr. Dillon, it looks to me like he's leaving town. Yeah, I told him he could go. He looks funnier than ever on that one-eared mule. Yeah. Well, Dodge treated Pendle pretty rough. He sure did. Poor little fellow looks kind of empty like that his guitar, don't he? Well, maybe you'll find another one somewhere. Anyway, they sure like to hear him play in this town. Couple of the boys in particular, I guess. Yeah, they liked it just fine. Smoke under the direction of Norman MacDonald stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, John Daner, Lawrence Dobkin, and Harry Bartell. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Special guitar effects by Al Hendrickson. Ken Peters speaking. Join us again next week. As Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. That was a very touching episode of Gunsmoke that was originally broadcast on the 26th of December, back in 1953.
And the name of that one was The Guitar. Well, Chester is signaling that we're all out of time. So what we want to do is gather up all of our shows and we'll carry them back into the vault. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. Don't worry, though. We'll be back in two weeks and we'll have a whole new slate of shows. So don't, don't panic. Don't panic. We'll be back. This is Bob Bro, and I'm so glad you stopped by. And I'm so glad you met me. May God bless and keep you always And may your wishes all come true May you always do for others And let others do for you May you build a ladder to the stars And climb on every run And may you stay Forever young Forever young